is InterVR, and I'm Chris Miranda, your host. I am the guy who hosts this podcast about virtual reality and uh, a little bit more. Today, I'm speaking with Eddie Lee, and Eddie is with Funktronic Labs. He's the creator of this thing called Collider. Uh, it's a super trippy, um, out of the blue, out of left field virtual reality experience that incorporates sleep motion that I think you guys are going to like if you get to try it out. Thank you, Eddie, Eddie, for coming on the show. Oh, thanks for having me, Chris. It's an honor. Uh, no, no, but I, this is no. This is just it's just me and my man cave doing a podcast with people who I think are really, really smart. And you, you tell me about yourself first of all. Tell me about this Funktronic Labs studio that sure. you have and some of your projects. Sure. Um. So I guess for the last four years, I was living in Japan. I was working at a company called Q Games. Mm -hmm. We made a lot of uh, downloadable PlayStation titles uh, under the name Pixel Junk, like Pixel Junk Eden, Pixel Junk Monsters. So if you played any PlayStation downloadable, downloadable games, you probably maybe have seen us. And yeah. um, I was there for a few years. After off, decided that you know I said that I want to go indie, and we decided to spin off. Me and a couple of the people from the Pixel Junk team formed a company uh, called Funktronic Labs. We started in uh, Japan. And we're there for about half a year, just making games, doing contract work. Recently, we moved to L.A., and yeah, that's where we made a Collider for the Lead Motion. Okay. And when you first started off the studio, did you have an idea what it was that you wanted to create, or were you sort of winging it? Yeah, I mean, like, uh, not exactly sure what I wanted to make. I just knew the type of experiences that I wanted to make, like very rich audio-visual experiences that I particularly enjoyed. And, I mean, the previous Pixel Junk was a cool company, uh, but the type of stuff that they were making and the stuff that I wanted to make was not, I guess, in line. Mm -hmm. And I felt like, um, yeah, when I had the opportunity to start my own company, um, I, I took it. And we started off doing contract work for Leap Motion, Um, just doing visualizers for them. The the CTO guy called David Holtz, he's a huge fan of just like generative art. So he he found me, contacted me, and we started off, you know, just doing just contract visuals for that company. And eventually it led to um, them going towards VR. Mm -hmm. When Lead Motion decided to build the the VR mount, um, it's like a little thing they stick on top of the Oculus so you can slide your Lead Motion onto it. Um, yeah, they contacted us again, like, hey, we're going VR, um, you know, you guys did cool stuff in the past, can we, you know, can we work together again on a, on this VR project, and that's where um, Collider was born. That's awesome, and Collider is this experience where you have your hands in front of you as you're going through this psychedelic fractal you know stairway to heaven tunnel <laughs> kind of <laughs> I've never heard it described like that it's awesome yeah it's pretty yeah. cool man <laughs> well, we describe it as well you're sort of halfway there it's it's basically yeah it's an interactive audiovisual psychedelic experience where you embody a particle as it travels through this abstraction of the like large hadron collider And you, it, hence the name Collider. You know, you just you kind of just vibe in and chill in, just kind of grooving through the large hadron collider, and you use motion controls with your hands um, to create visuals, to create sounds. And it's a very, um, it's a music toy. It's a very audio visual heavy experience. Mm -hmm. 
And yeah, we made it in, in just a few weeks, like three weeks. Um, we had a very tight deadline for because um, Leap needed to well release their 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 VR mount within within a short uh, period of time. And yeah, we pushed it out. And we weren't sure how people would respond to it, just because you know it's it's kind of a niche. Like just the art itself, like generative art, is very niche. Mm-hmm. Um, psychedelic audio music experiences is also very niche. <laughs> um, yeah, we were, but then you know, it's was, it was lead motion. They is a contract work, and then also they they're awesome in that they allowed us like full creative freedom. So we just like okay, we're just gonna make something weird and just totally something we want to see, mm-hmm. <laughs> and we made it. And um, I'm just happy to see that other people have enjoyed it as well. Yeah, it's really awesome, and I really gotta dig your style with mixing science and art and music at the same time. Uh, the the idea that you're putting. You're trying to visualize what it would be like to be a particle inside of the Large Hadron Collider as it's being zipped or shot out, whatever the word it is that this thing is going at, and you're trying to visualize. I, I, yeah, you can pretty much imagine anything, because um, that's that's yeah. weird and that's cool. <laughs> and we try, to, we try to keep it abstract, you know, but we also wanted to give the feeling that you're traveling through something, and it mm-hmm. just happened to be that. The Large Hadron Collider just fit the experiential aesthetic that we're looking for. Are you trying to tell stories with these experiences through the visuals and through the music, or are you just trying to, you know, relay an abstract message to the to the person experiencing, for example, Collider? Well, uh, well not really a story. <laughs> I don't really know what I was trying to get at. I was just basically, uh, I just wanted to make a very uh, audiovisual heavy product, mm-hmm. and then just let the people just kind of, it's not very uh, deep mechanically. You only could have, uh, you only can do a few actions, mm-hmm. and I mean, we just didn't have time to really dig deep. Like, okay, we, you know, we develop a story, blah, blah blah. So we just wanted to make it like kind of a fun toy that people can play with and just explore. And just, uh, I guess the goal is also to show off the leap motion hand detection mm-hmm. technology, while also kind of uh, like having fun and just being. Uh, just immersed in this visual environment and VR definitely is very immersive. So I think it just kind of worked out. Yeah, it surely did. Tell me more about generative art. What, what is this in, in enlighten me because I am completely ignorant to that word. Oh, no, yeah. <laughs> um, generative art is basically any type of art that's generated procedurally, mathematically. And, um, so if you see something like a non-generated art is like a hand painting, something that you just hand-drawn or like mm-hmm. 3D modeled in a very analog state. Mm-hmm. Um, generative art is you just use an algorithm to generate like a fractal pattern or use it to generate like a tunnel. Or, you know, the, the entire product is just generated art. It just you, We're just using math um, to make visuals, to make these vertices, to make these 3D shapes for the player to immerse itself in. And are these are these and when you're using the this these math algorithms to create art, are you are these mm, kind of like um, Lear Synod from Ocean Rift? He he's working on something that it's procedural systems. So is procedural systems in kind of work in the same way as generative art, where a procedural yeah. system will like create things as in random will. Will, will the generative art also do that? Yeah, it's, it's basically very similar. So procedural, uh, like procedural levels, for example, mm-hmm. in Ocean Rift, mm-hmm. 
like they just use an algorithm in order to generate a level. So it's basically with small teams, um, you're very uh, limited in terms of like, I guess, man hours. And you can't really have dedicate like, for example, you can't dedicate a week to just making like an ocean floor, right? Mm -hmm. And modeling each, uh, you know, each little like floor crevice and little hill. So what they did instead is, well, they just use an algorithm to just paint this ocean floor and just have very natural hills and stuff. So you could have like, like miles and miles long of, of, of like terrain with just one algorithm. So the beautiful part is just being able to just infinitely create these universes just with just tweaking these little algorithms. So now, well, yeah, the reason why, like I'm very drawn to uh generative art is like, personally, I'm, I'm very visually inspired and I, I really like to make, visual art but i'm pretty shitty at <laughs> drawing like if you, if you give me a pen and paper like i could draw like stick figures <laughs> but i also like very very much i'm also about like expressing myself mm -hmm. um i guess artistically and uh it just happens to be that i have you know a computer science and math background and you know I, i'm very visually inspired so then kind of all converge to graphics programming and now um, I, I try to express myself and what I see through these like generative art. So like an artist who has like a, a standard artist who, who, you know, has a, his palette would be, you know, colors of like acrylic or paint. Mm -hmm. My palette would be like math algorithms, fractals, you know, it's, it's just a different way to express someone or yourself. Uh, that is, settings. sorry. And that is, this is really cool to me. Um, the, the idea that you're using math to make art and it's yeah wow it's it's really cool what can what are some use cases for generative art where like where generative art really works in in these types of cases slash scenarios and cases type slash scenarios where generative art is probably not the best method of of incorporating what do you what do you think the best part, like for example, Pixar when they when they want to render like a outdoor scene, mm -hmm. for example, like a like a grassy knoll, like the, you see the player running through a grassy knoll, and there's like you know like physics and stuff that's interacting with his feet. Um, you don't want an artist to like hand model each blade of grass <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, by hand. So what they do is they just like okay, here's a mountain shape, just procedurally generate you know like realistic um, grass, and basically like. Yeah, I just paint like all these like grass blades onto floor procedurally, and and that just saves you know that could have saved a year of time <laughs> if you had like a I don't know if you had an intern artist kind of model each blade of grass. <laughs> it's gonna take forever. Mm -hmm. So procedural art definitely. Um, the the beautiful part about procedural is you can just keep making it. It just it just keeps generating procedurally. So if I want like this this tunnel that's like. Uh, I don't know, like a mile long, or if I want it 100 miles long, it doesn't matter because it just keeps generating and generating. Just like in uh, Minecraft, uh, mm -hmm. the worlds and everything is completely generated. So uh, each player also has a completely different experience because they get a new, you know, a new world that's completely random, but it's also very natural. So those are cases where like procedure generally definitely helps. Um, where it does not help, or where it's maybe not good, is if you have like a very specific like modeling our human, you don't want to do it really mathematically because it'll just take forever to like mm. you know, model all the contours on the face, you know, model like you just want like an artist to go in and just has a good understanding of you know the human anatomy, just model it. <laughs> so 
So like, it just depends on um, what you're looking for. If you want something more abstract, it could probably fit to the procedural flow. If you want something like very realistic, hyper realistic, or like a like representation of like animal or model or tree or whatever, then you probably want to go like handcrafted. That's cool. You know what I've no I feel like I've I'm noticing a a pattern wherein the more uh, as time goes by, uh, the less work or the less humans it requires to do certain jobs. So yeah. for example, like your your typical game studio would take would need you know ten years ago they needed five six artists to put put out a scene. Now you by yourself can create generative art uh, systems that can do this automatically. And the, I wonder, like, where do you think is the future of generative art going? Um, is it going to be fully automatic one day? Are you going to be <laughs> rendered uh, obsolete by the algorithms? Or do you think that there's always going to be s some need for for humans and perhaps it'll become more accessible what do you think well i think the well as i mentioned earlier like the best part of generative art is that you can just keep creating it and then like if say i create like a mountain field right and i want okay maybe i want like a little different i just change a little number in the algorithm and the entire mountain changes just just from the little seed of the algorithm mm -hmm. um but in terms of like the future of generative art well generative art is, is, is an art style and I guess it just depends on if people like the art stuff. That you know, if it's trending, if it's like not trending, if it's like going away, you know. But I feel that also generative art—it's always been kind of there since you know the age of computers. Like since the first like 3D triangles rendered, <laughs> the generative mm -hmm. art has been there. It just—it's always been kind of niche. Um, you know, it's very abstract. It's not like something you can really relate to. Like if I draw like a weird like polygon. Uh, like mesh or whatever, because <laughs> it's not something that humans can relate to. It's too abstract, and mm. um, therefore it's kind of niche. But the cool thing about like VR, like the future generative art in VR, it's it's awesome because you know it may look abstract, but if you put it, if you put on the VR headset and you look at this generative art, everything looks so much real just because you know it's so immersive in, in Oculus. Yeah. So really. I don't know. I, I think it really um, gives validation to, I guess, the generative art in a way that, like, now, like, you can actually be really immersed to it. It's not like not this abstract, you know, two D thing. It's like you could see it, and you could like feels like you're there. You know, it's it's. I think it's VR definitely the future for generative art, and it's just most people don't want to see, you know, photorealistic stuff. Like when they put VR stuff mm -hmm. or VR on. Mm -hmm. You know, there's the uncanny valley. It's also that people, you know, it's like so immersive that you want to see like totally weird, totally crazy things on VR. You don't want it to see, a, you know, like a, a realistic scene. You want to see something that's magical. And I think generative art allows for that. I I I 100% agree with you in the in the fact that yeah, generative art has this potential to show people the things that they've never could have imagined. But I also think that if I wanna if I wanna watch porn in VR, it'd be nice <laughs> if it were a little bit photorealistic, um, or at least yeah. have that choice of diversity where like yeah, I could choose between I don't know, <laughs> uh, Miku porn or by the oh. way, Miku is over eighteen, right? I hope she fucking is. She better be. 
Um, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I think so. Okay, no, good. No. So we'll, we'll, she's all over it, so I'm, I'm poking shoes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, d d reactions. I want to know, like, the reactions, because you say there is this different there's a different mm, sort of reaction to generative art where people experience it on a 2d screen versus vr and i want to uh, know what you've noticed when you've showed people generative art or your projects to people in 2d screens and then they try it in vr and i want to know you know how people are reacting differently for example yeah so I, i've been into generative art for a long time just just because you know that's just <laughs> how i like to roll um and you know, before before VR, I just make these little like these audiovisual like generative art toys for people to play with. And you know, for me, I really, really like making it. But I I found that you know people they they um they load it up, play for a few seconds. You know, it's like oh that's kind of cool. What else can I do? You know, but it's, well it's like well uh that's kind of it. Just because it's a toy, you know, it's more like a it's more like audiovisual piece. Mm -hmm. But then um in VR like. For Collider, for example, it's it's kind of the same vibe, but the fact that it's so immersive and very very rich in, in like visuals in terms of like colors and stuff, shapes, that it just I feel like the reaction has been a lot more positive and um, yeah, just more um, receptive to this art style. Mm -hmm. Where do you where would you like to take your your studio going forward. What are your goals for the future? Um, and, you know, I'd like to know what are your short-term and perhaps long-term goals? Well, um, I come from, like, a very game development background. So definitely love making games. I also love making, like, weird shit, like, <laughs> uh, like Collider. Hmm. It's something that's very meaningful to me. But also, you know, it's these type of products, uh, i just trying to, like, if we didn't, uh, get the contract from Leap. I don't know if this product would have survived, like in the in the raw marketplace. <laughs> mm. Just because it's so niche, it's a lot of peripherals. Um, but definitely want to explore more, you know, just more ways to to show generative art and like with future technology. Like you know, you have the Microsoft Hololens. You have all these cool new technology that's kind of riding on the VR, and um, it just uh, yeah, just expressing yourselves through technology is something that I'm very passionate about. And it's also, like like I said earlier, like um, very much like games. So right now we're working on a game. Uh, it's called Nova 111. It's, it's kind of a kind of a classic feeling arcade space game shooter thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, that's, the, that's the product that we've been working on for, for a long time. Like we've been working on it for like a year, over a year. And soon we're going to ship it on nine platforms, actually, like Steam and then, you know, all the Sony, Microsoft, Nintendo platforms. And I really had a lot of fun making that. And I think for the future of the company, definitely, if we could have like two teams working on, like one working on these weird stuff, one working on like nice feeling, like classic indie games. And that's like what I wish. <laughs> why would you, why would you, why would you want to have two teams? Are you, are you, um, are you trying to hedge your bets so that you have one team working on things that will generate money and then working on a, and you have another team working on things that might not make money because they're so weird. Why would you go with that route? Well, like, uh, games, for example, like these indie games, um, have an established market and a way to 
I guess, generate revenue for the company. Plus, it's something that I really like, just making a game, a polished game that's, you know, that's just fun for the player. And something that I grew up on, too, just, fun, just playing video games all the time. Mm-hmm. And I really much like that. But, like, the other, like, audiovisual department, it's, like, uh, it's more it's more of experimental. Um, it's also a way to stay relevant. Like, a lot of companies, you know, they get really stuck on, like, we're, you know, the, the, the mobile company, and we only do this and that, and... You know the market shifts, and then soon they're just completely irrelevant. I think a good way to stay relevant is to always be kind of doing research, but then also doing it smart in such a way that well, you're also making kind of products and also uh, making products uh, with new technology, as well as hopefully <laughs> uh, making some money as well, so it can support our future endeavors. Do you think players or gamers are? Mm, perhaps starting to feel for fatigued for the same paradigm of gameplay mechanics that we've seen for the last... I mean, I'm a, I've been gaming for 20, 19, 18 years now, and I would... And I'm a weird case because I'm spoiled by the Rift. I, I know what's in the coming in the future, but I wonder like if you think the average gamer... Um, is perhaps looking to something new, and it, maybe that's what's motivating you to keep experimenting because you, we don't know what is the next new thing that is going to be. I don't know the next the Minecraft or the next uh, Angry Birds. There, I say, I don't know. What do you What yeah. do you think? I, I, sorry, sorry to interrupt. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I think there's a lot of factors. I feel like a lot of new technologies are coming up that allows for completely like crazy experiences that are not like traditionally games, you know, mm-hmm. just a lot of, allows for a lot of like very no- novel, just, you can just can make anything in VR and it just feels like you're there and real as opposed to before you can, you can't just make any like weird art scene and just assume that people can be fully immersed in it. But VR, you can. Another thing is um, like regarding your question, like with games, mm-hmm. um, I feel like the past, I don't know, 40, 50 years of the game industry has has been focused on the concept of fun, quote unquote fun. And if you always, if you're making a game, if you're showing off a game, if you're pitching to publishers, anything that's game industry related, it's always about centering around fun. Like, where's the fun? What's fun about this game? Can I have fun? Like, you know, will this game be fun to your end users? It's all, it's all like obsessed about fun. But if you think about like the entire human emotional spectrum, fun is only, you know, you have like, Sadness, you know, <laughs> jealousy, mm-hmm. uh, anger, you know, laughter, whatever, hysteria. And fun is like a very small sliver in the human emotional scale. But the entire industry has been only focused on just the, the feeling of fun. And I feel like games, you know, as gamers grow older, as developers grow older, you know, we, we, we seek experiences that are not necessarily fun, but can be very meaningful. For for example, in a parallel, if you think about the movie industry, you know, fun movies are usually comedies, but your favorite like movies are probably not comedies. They're probably dramas. They're probably like things, movie experiences that doesn't make you laugh, but make you cry. Mm-hmm. And I feel like games are kind of becoming that. Like now games are not, they're not necessarily, they don't have to be fun in order to be very meaningful. Like a game, for example, recently called Journey. I don't know if you played it. Dude. Yes. I love it. <laughs> Journey is amazing. And yeah, I wouldn't awesome. consider it like 
fun in the traditional sense. Yeah. I mean, it's, there's nothing fun about you like walking around and interacting, but the way it's done, it's very meaningful, has a beautiful message. And I don't know, I feel like it's very awesome without having to be centered around fun. And I feel like games are kind of coming out of that. It's like, okay, well, now we can explore other emotions, other venues other than, okay, we have to make this really, really like fun and engaging for the user. We can also make it kind of sad, you know, like yeah. maybe someone wants to see a, a game that like is very meaningful to them in a, well, like non like traditionally entertaining way. So I feel like it's very, so that times multiplied by the fact that, yeah, all these new technologies like VR and, you know, AR, I think the future is going to be really cool in terms of games. Yeah, it's very exciting, and I think you're hitting on something very important that mm, perhaps gets lost in the drive to make fun things, which there's nothing wrong with making fun games, but for me, the games that have had the largest impact on me have been the ones where, just like you said, to walk me through a larger spectrum of emotions and feelings, like uh, The Last of Us, like uh, Uncharted, yeah. like Legend of Zelda, like like journey like these games um have moments of you know holy shit yeah i'm scared to man why is this happening what is there even a god or like you know journey where you're the yeah, journey's oh, a whole nother thing but the, you're right i think i think i think that vr and could accelerate that even more um the this this new way of interacting with the game or the machine and you we i think there's going to be large potential to exploit that spectrum of human emotion with vr and in terms of your goals with with vr in mind and functronic labs are you guys mm, thinking about being more bullish about incorporating vr in the future or are you still taking a measured approach what's your what's your take well, we love to explore more VR. I, I think the thing is now there's no real consumer market. Mm -hmm. So right now, if we if we invest all our time into VR, it's a, it's a huge risk. Just because we don't know how the market's doing, we don't really know. You know, if people will like VR. I mean, I'm pretty sure a lot of people like VR, but the, the problem now. There's, there's a lot of problems right now. It's just the VR headset. You put it on, it kind of makes it look like a dork, <laughs> mm -hmm. kind of like an ass, <laughs> but it's not really cool. It's the reason why like Apple is not getting into VR because you know they're a fashion company and VR doesn't look cool. <laughs> uh, and um, but yeah, it's VR is something that's super awesome. It's very immersive. It's definitely the future, and we want to, like I said earlier, like make these meaningful, very meaningful experiences in VR. Um, that not necessarily fun, but it can be very meaningful to, to players and, and and engaging. But uh, right now, you know, yeah, we're, we're going to see how 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 it does. <laughs> it's going to be coming out this year, I mm -hmm. think. And definitely, if it, I feel like it's going to be big, uh, but also, you know, we're running kind of a company. We're a small company, so we can't just be throwing all these man hours into something that you know, kind of not sure about. As of now, yeah, I want to know you. So you're you have a very interesting opinion on this because you you wanna you wanna wait until there's a market, but at the same yeah. time, I sense that you think that this is gonna be a big deal. <laughs> um, so so 
So what is the... So are you worried that if you wait too long to jump in the game, you might not be able to get the head start that others already had? Or you might get uh, swallowed up by the big publishers that are going to start turning ship later on? Um, you know, I, yeah, I'd like to know, like, how are you... How are you justifying this... I want to say it's a weird contradiction. I don't. I don't know if it's weird, but it, it's definitely a contradiction where you, you know that this is going to be a big deal, but at the same time you're not jumping in because of your resources or what, whatever. You tell me more about this. Well, like even if we do make a product, say we do make a game in VR, there's no real portals right now that's supporting it. Mm -hmm. You know, there's uh, I guess Oculus Store is coming out soon, but there's no have been no details. Um, about it, you know, maybe Steam will do something. I'm pretty sure they will. I mean, they, they've announced it, but there's no, I mean, there's nothing like, say we do make a product right now, and it's very polished, very great. Mm -hmm. Like, there's really kind of no way to, no unified way to get it in front of, well, any users who might purchase it. So, um, like, right now, you know, we're, we're kind of a scrappy, you know, startup game development studio. Uh, we can't, you know, we, we, we want to invest in the future. We believe in it. It's just that right now we can't justify it just because, well, we have limited resources in terms of <laughs> time and money. Mm -hmm. uh, we just need a, like a, a clear way to get it, you know, to get it to paying customers. And then I feel like we'll definitely jump on. Right now, it's just, uh, it, it's, it's sort of like unclear, like how how people are planning to make money with VR. Right now, it's all contract. Everyone who's in VR right now are making money, not through selling through end users, for doing yeah. contracts, ads, for you know, advertisements. Um, you know, it's it's. Um, but we want to make games, and we want to make like you know, ship products that people can buy that they can enjoy. But right now, there's no clear way to do it. So give me your yeah. No, there's and I think you there's. I feel like you're right. I think you are you are right in terms of like everybody who is in VR all the way in is mostly doing contracts to bigger companies because there isn't yeah. a market. There's no consumers yet. And yeah, Samsung Gear VR probably I think it might be putting up their store in May, I heard. Might be. I'm not sure. Um Oculus is hopefully this year, but yeah, that's a there's a definitely a pickle to be in if you are a game studio that wants to survive in VR. Um, and I want to know, like, what do you, what do you think are your estimations as to how big the VR market will be in the first year of release? And, you know, what do you think it'll take to go from early adopter, enthusiast, gamer, geek, like you and I, to, you know, my, my grandma and my mother and my, you know, cousins, you know, trying out VR? Um, I think there's a lot of things. Like, first they have to solve the seat, the sickness. Mm -hmm. I think they solved it pretty much in the in the um, in the new was it Crescent Bay Crescent mm -hmm. Cove I forgot which one's the newest one DK three yeah DK three Crescent Bay have you tried it yet Yes I have What have did you? you think Yeah I I cried after <laughs> It's <laughs> so, insane I was so moved It was like a spiritual experience the, the problem like it's just I like me I'm just surrounded by VR geeks, VR enthusiasts, people who are in the game industry who are excited about VR. And it's kind of hard to objectively tell like what the real world thinks. Like I feel like whenever I bring VR to like group gatherings and like show them and stuff, everyone gets really excited. Mm -hmm. 
So I feel like it's going to be a huge thing. Um, but, you know, right now, like, in order to run a DK3 experience, you know, the DK3 is, well, I, I don't know what the specs of the, they haven't released the resolution of the, of the device yet, right? No, I'm assuming it's, like, double HD or something, like QHD or something crazy. No one knows, but you, you could be right. They're super being, they're being super secretive about it so far. Yeah, it's like super high resolution. Um, also, it's running at nine frames a second, and right now, like most computers, cannot run, you know, what is it, the Unreal Engine at ninety frames at like like a QHD or whatever the resolution is. Yeah. So that's another problem too. Like if you really want to immerse experiences, that is, that setup is exactly what you need. Yeah. A really extremely powerful computer. I'm pretty sure they have like a. Like a dual SI, uh, uh, dual SLI like graphics card setup running on like the, the sickest processor, you know, just in order to make that experience. But you know, ninety whatever ninety nine percent of people don't have that computer, so I don't know how they're going to solve that. Yeah, I think the answer is mobile. I think the answer yeah. is Samsung stepping up their gear game and figuring out ways to make it more accessible somehow. Your gear is cool, and I think the coolest part is this is cordless. So I can just yeah. bring it anywhere and show it to them. It's not like, you know, come into my VR chamber and, like, all these wires going <laughs> back and test out, you know, this, you know, jump into this magical world. It's, it's, it's more accessible. Yeah, how it's many... Also, it's kind of silly. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like a lot of people... I think the reason why Google Glass didn't take off, I think it's also because... You know, you look a little silly wearing it. Mm-hmm. I think it's really cool and what they're trying to do. But you know, with VR, I think it has the um, what is it? it? It has the handicap that it it doesn't look cool, but it's also that if you put it on, you're so immersed in the environment that you don't really care what people are thinking of you. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Um, with Microsoft Hololens, it's I don't know how that's going to play out because. <laughs> You look kind of dorky wearing it, but it's you know it's kind of like VR AR, but you can see everyone looking at you, so it's like uh. That's what I was a little bit um, how do you? I was a little bit intimidated about Google Glass wearing you know I, not to hate on Google Glass, I lo- I like the concept, but um, the execution, uh, I think. I mean, I would I would wear augmented reality goggles uh, in public. I I would, but. I, I want to make sure that they're not that little tiny little dinky screen that, on the corner of your eye. I want to make sure that it's an over, it, it's a layer that you know, on top of what I already see seamlessly. Um, and yeah, it better have some flashing LEDs and police lights and all sorts of bells and whistles to like, you know, show off to all the dork girls. <laughs> um, would you would you be walking around with AR Hololens glasses in public? Do you do you see yourself? Yeah, I mean, I I, I don't mind personally, but I just think it's just so cool. And I feel like most people, you know, they're not. Most people are not like tech, like super tech enthusiasts. Mm-hmm. And I guess it's a a large social barrier to like saying like, oh, I don't care about whatever. It, what anyone thinks i'm just gonna wear this because i feel it's cool even though i look kind of like asshole (laughs) most people don't feel that way and you got to be very in the you know kind of very very much of enthusiast in order to um do that yeah yeah i 
I, I or yeah, or just plain weird. I I remember I walked around SF with a Dorovas dive um, strapped to my face, and <laughs> people were looking at me. And people. Well, were, what did you have strapped in your face? The Durovis dive, the you know the sm- smartphone VR holder, and I, I put the pass through oh, camera, okay. and I was just walking around with this smartphone VR and game thing, and you know people were like, "Is that, is that 3D? Is that, you know, most yeah, a hundred percent of the people were not being hostile or oh my god, it's a cyborg from the future. Everybody was chill. Um, but it might, it might, but it might be San Francisco. People are weird here. Yeah, I think I think largely it's San Francisco. I don't know if like me walking around in like Hollywood and people have this reaction. <laughs> but then you never know. Like um, when I guess when the first Walkman was invented, um, you know, like portable, mm-hmm. like whatever. Uh, what is those called? Not VHSs. <laughs> what is it? The thing before it's CDs? Cass- I, oh cassettes. God. Cassettes. Oh my god. I don't know how that <laughs> You know, when he first invented it, um, I was reading about it uh, recently. You know, they have the the personal music player and, um, you know, they have the headset. Mm -hmm. And they were really scared. Like, like right now, you know, we see people walking around, you know, with with earbuds, like listening to music, you know, in the gym. Mm -hmm. But when they first, like, uh, were developing it, they were really scared. Like, you know, just having people immersed in, like, this musical world wearing a headset, you know, walking around, does it look stupid? You know, are people going to not going to, are people not going to use it because, you know, they're, they're afraid of looking like an asshole. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's a lot of, I guess, apprehension about like personal music and personal, I guess, headsets and stuff. But, you know, I think people grown to understand and I guess appreciate it obviously now that everyone has one but before it was a huge deal and I think maybe that might be similar in the VR AR space I don't, I don't know hopefully it is that's a very fascinating correlation that you just made between the Walkman and the HMD I think you have something valuable here because the Walkman you know the technology itself it just you know i'm sure it was big um it was a big novelty in the early days and you know people were having you know discussions about it and the people who liked it really liked it because it it immersed you in a whole new musical world yeah. and the people who hated it hated it because it just looked dorky but eventually eventually the technology evolved to the point where it's just a pair of headphones in your phone and I wonder yeah. where VR is going to go in terms of that direction because I think you're right. It, just like the Walkman is going to look dorky and bulky in the first couple of years, but eventually, it just might be a your, your pair of contact lenses that everybody wears, and you know, it, you'll go from it, just a few people being assholes wearing around in public to everybody's <laughs> an asshole <laughs> because it's just so useful. I don't know. What do you think? Is that is that a possibility? No, I definitely agree with you. I, I think it's a lot of like society accepting it, society understanding what it is, not just like this, this, not just this crazy guy in like you know this this VR environment. It's just mm-hmm. another thing that you just put on like just to pass time or just to chill. Yeah. yeah. And after I feel like it becomes at that social level, social acceptance level, then I feel it definitely hit its mark. 
is it the let me ask you something more on the philosophical side do you is it are we hardwired we human beings are we hardwired to escape to want to leave our reality through the books or novels or radio or television or video games or vr are we is this is this why vr might be successful because we're so hardwired to want to escape and drift around and different realities or I think you're right like I feel people are wired to well it's like escaping reality it's also that humans are like wired to get bored of things quickly mm-hmm. like you can't have the same meal twice because your brain is telling you oh this is kind of boring even though the first time it was very good yeah um I think it's same with like vision like I mean, I, I don't know. Like, you know, you always want to see different things, like if all the time, and you always want to be visually stimulated. Mm-hmm. And being visually stimulated, it's just like it's like when you when you have when it's at nighttime and you see the stars, it's it's beautiful and it's like you can really appreciate the night sky. But if you saw all the time, maybe it's not as cool. It has like diminishing utility, diminishing rewards, and I feel like VR is just like well. The, the human mind wants to escape. He also wants to see new things. And you just put on VR and you're like fully immersed in this beautiful environment. And I don't know. It's just, it's just a cool, it's just cool. <laughs> I think you're right. And, and I wonder, let's, let's extrapolate a little bit further in terms of the benefit of VR itself as well, because yeah, it could be used to escape, but I also think it could be used to enhance reality or how we view reality itself. And I, I say that through journalism or education. But there, there's also something else, and I want to know if this is pseudoscience bullshit or perhaps we're onto something here. Because the reason, and, and, it's, and it's something you just mentioned, like we, we humans, we get bored of seeing the same things visually, right? Like we, and I, and I, and I think that our need to explore or in our need to escape is something that happens even at the neural level of our brain. Like we, when we experience something new, when we see something new, we, I think we're making new neural connections. We're forming new synapses that we can later come back to and, 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 and use. And so I, I wonder, like, do you think that now we're going to have VR in 2016, 2017, and we're going to have, this teleportation device that'll take us to see new sights and sounds never be- never before possible. And I wonder, like, is that going to make people smarter because we're going to have this just flood of neural connections forming from all the visual stimulation? Or do you think that this is my, there might be an issue here if people over, overindulge in VR? Yeah, I don't know. It's like, uh, has the internet made people smarter? I think Ooh, just extend- that's a good one. <laughs> I could just kind of extend people's brains to that. Like, you don't have to keep information on your brain. You just Google it. It's like kind of an extension of yourself. Um, I don't know. With VR, like, there's so many applications, and it's kind of hard to tell now. Like, just, just in terms of, like, education, um, you know, my wife's a teacher, and, you know, she's kind of into VR as well. And we're always kind of, like, joking around about, like, VR stuff. And, you know, like, now... In the educational setting, if you want to teach someone about history or whatever, you got to have to make them read or something. And it's kind of, you know, a lot of it is just your, your brain feeling of it. it might not be accurate. Or like something like a word 
what do you call it? Like math word questions? Mm-hmm. Like word problems? Word problems. Oh, man. <laughs> You're getting a lot of things. Um, like if you had, for example, if you had a kid just learning math, trying to learn addition or whatever, like two plus three, um, you see like a word problem like Johnny has three apples and then Sally gives him two apples. Like how many apples does he have now? And it's kind of a, like for them at that age, it's kind of an abstract concept. You know, it's like super uh, like no-brainer for us mm-hmm. now. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and in VR, imagine if you actually saw like a, you put on VR. Oh, my God, Johnny's holding three apples. Oh, my God, Sally's walking towards him and he's giving him two apples. How many apples? Oh, he has five. Like, you know, like that. <laughs> yeah, I'm that with you. super immersive and it can really like be very engaging in educational way. Yeah, I want to, uh, if I could have my cake and eat it, I would want to try to teach myself math all over again in VR from your uh, arithmetic, whatever, plus multiplication all the way to like high-level calculus and linear algebra. I'd love to teach myself these concepts, abstract concept in, in, in VR because I can't, I sucked all my life at word problems. I can't visualize. And and here's the thing, though. Like, I would you think that by handing out the visualization to the student, by doing the imagination for them, do you think we're handicapping people from not being able to visualize these abstractions, or do you think we're like propelling them further up the ladder of learning? I think it's. I think it's the the latter. <laughs> no pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's just that um, when you're learning highly abstract concepts like mathematics, it's very, very abstract. And if you want to teach them something like calculus, in order for them to fully understand and, um, I guess, digest what they've learned, they have to kind of relate that to something real, which is why there are a lot of word problems because word you know, the scenarios are real and it helps like people understand that it's not just an abstract concept. But if you have, if you have something like calculus, like you're, you're trying to, I don't know, integrate a curve or integrate a, a, a 2D surface, trying to find a volume or whatever, like it's very, very abstract. But if you, if you put on VR and you see like a surface and you see like, you know, the integration, how it just like fills up the, the curve or whatever, um, you know, that feels very real and it's no longer really abstract and your brain can really, um, you know, it just helps it understand it in a totally different way. Mm-hmm. It's just like giving different uh, different perspectives on on math concepts. And yeah, I feel like it's 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 definitely um, very good for learning. Yeah, yeah I'm with <laughs> you. Have fun without, yeah. I, yeah, I'm with you. Have fun, learn, win-win. Can you imagine life without the internet? I know this question came out of nowhere, but I want to know, you know, what what you think you'd be doing right now if the internet, as we know it, had never happened. If we were still stuck on phone landlines and um, AOL CDs that would come in the mail. Oh my gosh! Yeah, I don't, I don't even know what the internet would be like. Like now, in the modern modern times, like internet is kind of like water, electricity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in terms of, like, what people need to function. And, yeah, I don't know. That, that's kind of interesting. <laughs> I never thought about it like that. I just thought it just always kind of existed. I don't know. I'll probably be just chilling or something. It's just internet has taught me so much. Like, all the stuff that I do, I do now, 
terms of programming, in terms of like all the generative art, like techniques and stuff, I've all learned online. And I don't know how, you know, how I would be learning, so how I access that kind of information without the internet. And I feel, yeah, I don't know. It's kind of like my life has, it, it is what it is now because of the internet, I think, mm-hmm. <laughs> or thanks to the internet. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's definitely one of those things we take for granted. <laughs> the fact that we have so much interconnectivity, um, and it's happened in the blink of an eye. <laughs> like, I remember going into high school, ninth grade, and yeah. I didn't have a cell phone. I, I was just like, I don't need this. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm fine without it. And yeah. then, that's not yeah, too we... long ago. <laughs> yeah, I just remember, like... Like when I was a kid, there was no internet until I guess middle school mm-hmm. was when like my parents finally like decided to get like dial up or something. Yeah. And but then even back then, like I just spent most of the time just playing StarCraft with my friends. <sighs> uh, I didn't really go online really because you know back then Google wasn't really a big thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm gonna yeah, tell. Sorry. No, no, sorry. Yeah, so I was, I was, I, 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 before I interrupt, I'm going to tell you a secret um, yeah. really quick. The first time I interacted with the internet, uh, I think it was with my dad's computer back in middle school. And the porn was insane. I mean, from then on, dude, it was... Uh, see, you found StarCraft, I found porn right away. Which fucked me up, but I think it, I turned out okay in the end. Um... <laughs> but man yeah i i feel you like there's so yeah there's so much that the internet can give you and before i move before i, inter- I interrupted you like where did that where did that your motivation come from to teach yourself the things that you taught yourself but but finish your last line of thoughts and sorry for interrupting by the way oh no 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 it's 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 when <laughs> you hear about the porn industry yeah uh uh yeah i feel like a lot of people are saying that vr is going to be as big as the internet yeah how awesome and expansive and just like how much it was a gift to humanity i think it would be like that for vr just i don't know like a lot of people you know maybe they are not very well off but they want to like go travel you know board board these put on a headset boom they're there you know or if I'm a doctor or whatever, a surgeon, want to learn, you know, this or that mm-hmm. about the human anatomy, I don't have to go and dissect a cadaver. I could just, you know, kind of VR and just immerse myself. And then if, as long as it's equally immersive, then it's equally um, engaging and beneficial. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I just feel like it's going to be huge. Yeah. And sorry, what was your second question your, again? The I question was like, so, so you discovered that Somehow you discovered that the internet was a tool, and oh, you yeah. used it for your own benefit. You know, where did that motivation come from? Like, what made you want to get up and teach yourself generative art uh, through the internet and all the things, all the skills that you've taught yourself? Like, what, what, what pushed you? It was, um, I think, it was from just watching YouTube. I think I was just cruising YouTube or Vimeo. This is, I mean, I, I just started about like three, four years ago. And um, just watching like these really video- weird videos of uh, like these like shapes moving around, um, 
of just people doing kind of real time generative stuff with technology. Because back then I was I was very interested in um, graphics technology, and it's more on the photorealistic side. Just how do I, how do I you know like model these geometries to look look like you know the lighting is how it is in the physical world, mm-hmm. and just kind of stumbled onto these like this treasure chest of just like it's called the demo. I don't know if you heard of the demo scene. Um, maybe not. It's um, it's it's kind of a big thing in Europe, definitely not as big in America. But basically, it's it's a it's a whole scene of graphics programmers who all like band together in, in groups of like three or four, four or five, and they compete in these demo parties and basically make real time generative art. And it's huge, like the ones in like uh Germany and stuff, like. It's like seven thousand tenants. Like it's like a huge land party, mm-hmm. and they all just like make these like really compelling stuff. And then I just kind of stumbled onto that scene just from my research online. And I'm like, holy shit, these guys are making these insane things. Like it just like was so magical to me when I first saw it because mm-hmm. I had no idea. Like because I was just doing you know just standard like graphics programming for like 3D or 2D games and. You know, these people are using like kind of similar technology, like graphics technology, in order to make these like beautiful things. And I was like, wow, like I should really look into this. Like I have the capability, I just don't know the know-how. And you know, some some of the people, like some of the best people, like Fairlight, which is a huge one, they publish a lot of articles online, like how they do their techniques, like because they always they always win. Like they just destroy all the all the demo scenes and. <laughs> Yeah, he he uh, he he was he's he's I guess he's gracious enough to publish a lot of his uh, techniques, and I learned it, and then like you know it kind of just offshoots the other techniques that I learned, and just like keep researching, researching, and yeah, I just uh, a lot of people having are nice enough to publish their stuff online, and that has helped. Crazy. <laughs> that's awesome man that's really cool that they are the best at what they do and they post their stuff for free for others to learn how they do what they do what do you think they're yes. they're gaining sorry. to benefit from posting sorry for interrupting but yeah what do you think someone like Fairlight is gaining from posting this information for free so that others can use uh i don't know if he's any anything i mean it takes time and effort uh and also, like, I guess you have to buy server space just to post their, these techniques. But I don't know. I think a lot of people, um, like, the game industry and the graphics industry, like, it all kind of, in America especially, they, it kind of grew up on sharing information. Mm-hmm. Just because in America you, you spend some, like, a few years at a company, you jump to another company, and, you know, you go to these graphics conferences and stuff that people are just sharing all their techniques. Mm-hmm. And it's, I mean, even though it's kind of like you're revealing a secret, I think in 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 the overall scale, it makes the industry grow. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's um there's a guy called Ignigio Equalis. He's one of the big guys in demo scene. He's also one of the technical like directors of Pixar. <laughs> well. He has like amazing like technique, and I like I like read his site like a billion times. He's, he recently, uh, I don't know if he, do you know about Oculus's story, was it called Story Workshop or what, what's it called? Yeah, but it's a, they, they got this movie studio set up where they're going to make five different VR movie pieces. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Story, Oculus Story Studio. Yeah, this same guy, Emilio Iglesias, he, um, 
Yeah, he he he's on the Oculus Story Studio now. He, wow. he used to be like the, the Pixar, the head Pixar. I don't know if he's still there. Maybe it's just like a side gig. But yeah, it's he's he's it's really awesome. Like I'm very excited to see what Story Studio becomes. Yeah, their Oculus is really good at recording, recruiting top talent. Man, that's amazing. Yeah, I think their Oculus seems to be kind of focused on just movie content right now, just because there's no. Um, there's no way to really interact with <laughs> VR. Right now, there's no like front-running solution on how to, inter- well, like, interactive hardware. Like gamepad, controllers, keyboard, and mouse all feel very weird just because when you look down, you can't see your hands. Yeah. Uh, read motion, try to solve it with the hands, but it's, of course, really buggy. But Oculus bought like nimble VR, so they're probably going to go like motion controls. But now there's still no like... Yeah, you know, they're gonna release uh, the Oculus. You said this year, and they don't really have like an official controller for it. So I think yeah. that's why they're going towards movies and stuff. You've just ignited a spark inside my brain, the a speculation spark. And here's my speculation, um, totally out of my butt uh, theory as to why the relationship between Oculus stu- Studio and the lack of input. I yeah. think. I think Oculus realized that trying to focus on straight up games is going to be very it is going to be hazardous because they're going to be walking a fine line between good user experience for hardcore players and accessibility for casual players because they're going for the masses now that they have Facebook money, right? And so I think they know they knew that going in it was going to be hard with input and so I think what they're doing is they're letting input play itself out a little longer and yeah. using this new thing called because this is the thing I keep hearing it's storytelling storytelling everybody's talking about storytelling in VR and so if you allow storytelling to become a thing in VR then one you make it accessible and and two, you don't need as much input as you would if it were a video game. So yes. I think they're smart if my speculation is correct. <laughs> By using Oculus Story, they're, you know, they're channeling energy uh, towards mainstream consumers and you know, people who are in the core to, 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 to experience content, but at the same time, they're letting the input thing play out a little longer, because it's a hard fucking problem. <laughs> the input is going to be because the thing, and the thing they realize is like whoever, whatever input comes out or whatever input gets nailed, I think will define input for the next 10, 12, 20, 30 years, maybe. Who knows? It's so it's a big. There's a lot at stake here. What do you think about my crazy speculation? Oh, I think you're definitely right. Like, um, if you give uh, like a new VR user or game, you know, it's very variable because it's interactive. But if you give them a movie experience, which is very, very on rails, you can have a very crafted experience that can be super engaging, but it, it's, it's hard to mess up like watching a movie. You know, mm-hmm. It's much harder to mess up like, you know, playing a VR game because you could do anything. Right? So I think it's, it's yeah, I think you're, you're definitely right. It's like smart for them to, to understand that the controller situation is not um, set yet, so then they want to. But then, in order to hit a mainstream audience, they they have to have a very polished first experience, and 
mm-hmm. having like a very compelling movie is a good way for people to really understand what VR is about and all, you know all that stuff. So I think yeah, I think it's um I think you're right. <laughs> Once yeah. they solve the interactivity issue, I think it's gonna be. From there, it's going to be downhill. It's just going to be a snowball, and it's going to get larger as it rolls downhill. But but right now, I think that the input thing is such a big elephant in the room. Because if 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 we were going to, if they were on on track to develop input, we would have heard this by Oculus Connect, I think. You know, and if they're going to release this 2015, so the rumors, the strong rumors suggest, then we would have been had have a input um gdc if they don't say anything about gdc then then no there won't be any input because i think it'd be too late like who how are we going to get our hands on this thing unless dk3 or a consumer version alpha release has nimble vr already installed in it and you can see your hands i don't know yeah, I think you're right. Like it's 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 a little late right now, especially if you're gonna hit consumer market. So they're probably just gonna like, you know, develop their nimble VR technology a little more. Like even even Leap Motion, who's been like around way before Nimble, I call well, not way before. They've only been around for like a year and a half, but um, they still haven't like fully. So it's still kind of buggy. Yeah. And and yeah, it's uh once they solve that issue, I think then it's gonna be more. Like like what I said earlier, like it's hard to really invest in like VR games right now because it's also not a clear input system. So it's yeah. a lot of factors right now. I want to talk about something you mentioned that I think will become relevant in the industry as it goes forward. And it's this idea of sharing information with the collective, with the community. Um, and yeah. it, it sort of goes back to this idea that I've been learning about on YouTube from, from Crash crash course world history the have you ever like l- watched those youtube videos from john green and hank green no dude what is it about? uh crash course is is like this youtube channel where they like sh- they go through the fundamentals the basics of every um, big world history thing that's ever happened uh, every aspect of human anatomy human psychology astronomy chemistry biology they have this whole playlist in channels of you know different subjects that they explore and they do it really really well and one thing that i've been learning a lot about from them is this idea of collective learning and how you and so i'm gonna sort of paraphrase it collective learning is this thing where like the hive mind is growing in its intelligence because you know sections of it are contributing 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 to it and so when you talked about demo scene and how a person like Fairlight, one of the best of the best will put out their work for free so that people can also learn from the, his techniques, his or her techniques, then what he's doing is he's contributing to the, 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 the collective learning tank, and that tank is getting filled up and getting bigger and bigger. And where I'm going with this is, you know, the future of the metaverse, the future of VR, like, do you think will, you know, I think there will be two camps. I think there will be the open source collect the learning kind of camp where people will share best practices and there will be the closed wall gardens kind of camps like your samsung's and your oculus um and i want to know like where how do you think this might play out you know in the future do you think that the walled gardens of vr will be you know more prolific uh for users than 
the open source versions of the metaverse? What do you think? Um, do you, are you saying like Oculus versus like uh, like a Chinese company that just makes their own? Like I would say or? Oculus versus Google and Mozilla because Google has cardboard and cardboard wow. is pretty open source so far. Um, OSVR from Razer is also coming out with being open source, so they're definitely pushes smallish smaller pushes from Mozilla and Google and Razer to be this open source alternative. But yeah, it's not as it's not making as big of a splash as the Facebook acquisition, of course. And so I want to know what you think will be, you know, how how do you think this will develop in the future? Do you think, you know, people will just go to the best interface because Oculus has been working on it longer? I think people make this uh, assumption that this is Apple versus Android all over again. Uh, <laughs> But I want to know what you think. Um, see, I don't know, cause, cause Oculus during Oculus Connect, they completely open sourced their DK One. True, very true. At the end, so I think I think that is just like, cause they understand that if they open source their DK One, the hardware and you know, the, the, I guess the software as well, that hopefully you know some Chinese company, <laughs> it's always the Chinese companies. They'll, they'll pick it up and, you know, they'll most likely develop it at a very, very uh, low price. And then just, it'll just they'll just make parts cheaper and, and cheaper and cheaper such that it'll actually benefit when they actually launch, you know, future Oculus consumer versions. You know what I'm saying? Like, if, if, the, Chinese, if the Chinese people are developing these, these hardwares at a very, very cheap level, it's, it helps the industry in whole because yeah. everything is cheaper for consumers to buy to get in. Yeah better for developers because there's more, you know, consumers who have it. It just overall, it's, um, it's just a better for the industry. But in terms of like open source, oh, I don't know. Cause it's kind of tough. Cause, um, a lot of VR now is hardware dependent, like your screen, you know, your screen refresh rate, you know, like, like John, John, the Carmack, um, is always talking about, you know, like, like triple, you know, like cell phones usually don't work mm -hmm. um, with VR because images are triple buffered, which means things have a two frame delay, which is un absolutely unusable in, um, in VR. Mm -hmm. You can't have two frame lag because it's just, it's just, it's just horrible. Um, but he's able to work with Samsung in order to, you know, cut down to half. So it's a lot of, it's more like, I guess it's more, it's more hardware driven, but most of the open source community has been pretty uh, software. Yeah. As opposed to like uh, Arduinos and stuff, but um, I, I don't know how it's going to play out, to be honest. I, I, I feel like open source is going to be very strong. And if Google and Firefox are all pushing for it, I think it's going to be good. And I feel like they're also, they're also aiming for different markets. Like Google and Android, or Google sp specifically, are just aiming for it. Anyone who has an Android phone, why don't we just make them all VR devices? Yeah. And Oculus is like, well, this is like the premium where, you know, you have like this dedicated device that you attach to your computer and it's very powerful. Um, but there's no real uh, like Oculus, like desktop competitor right now. Now it's all kind of it's VR or browser. I don't know. Honestly, I haven't really thought about it very deeply, but that's just kind of how I feel.
Yeah, no, it's definitely a trend that, or a thing that we won't have to worry about for a while, but it's something that it's been creeping up slowly but surely in my periphery, and I would like to know more about it. But, okay, so uh, what do you think about uh, how people will make money once VR becomes, uh, when CV1 launches, for example, like, what, what do you think the mono, the most successful monetization models will look like? Will people be making the most money with free-to-play, with freemium, with direct sales? Uh, you know, what do you think? Oh, that's a tough one. I feel... For me, my, my gut feeling from a game developer perspective is probably just direct sales, mm -hmm. usually. Um, I feel like there's going to be a lot of, a huge market in terms of advertising, like especially for video content. For 3D video content, um, like I said earlier, like VR is super immersive, and if you have ads in VR, it just makes the, I guess, the ad to user engagement much more higher. Like if it's someone selling like Doritos, Mountain Dew, only just chilling at a party and everyone's like eating Doritos and having fun, drinking Mountain Dew. It's like that's so much, I guess, so much quote cooler than just seeing like a, a Dorito video like on YouTube before you know watching a movie. And I think there's like for video content, I feel like that's a huge, it's gonna be a huge one. Yeah. Right now, like there's already a lot of ad companies. Like, have you seen the Dos Equis one? No, I have not. Enlighten me, my friend. It's, it's it's basically like what you expect from like the Dosakis, you know, the most interesting man. It's just like you're hanging out in like this baller like palace uh, by yourself, mm -hmm. just hanging on the corner, and like I guess this lion comes by, and then like a, a girl comes by to talk to you, and then the, the interesting man comes in with his whole posse and just like serves you a Dosakis in in VR, and it's like it's kind of cool, you know, it's very <laughs> very immersive. Yeah. And much more like after I took it off, I expected like you know, the the guy from who was handling that booth to give me Dos Equis because that's kind of what I wanted. Like after I took it off, <laughs> um, you know, but, but, you know, it didn't happen. But it also felt very, I don't know, it felt real. And it just, I guess it helps connect the you know, the end user to the product much better. <laughs> How does, so would you say that advertising is more effective in VR? Would you, would you say, I mean, will, will people respond differently to an ad that can, they can view on their side of their Facebook page compared to an ad that is all around them in VR? Yeah, I think just like ads are all about engagement. Mm -hmm. They're all about how, how if uh, all about connecting the user to the product and if it feels real in VR then it's much more awesome than like a little banner ad which feels just annoying um yeah i think it's going to be it's going to be a, a good one <laughs> i think so too yeah like for example pizza hut right mm -hmm. if they want to do ads like you know pizza hut i don't know like For me, it kind of had a bad image of just like really cheap, like cheaply constructed, or like frozen pizza kind of vibe. But if if um, I mean, that's probably not true. But um, imagine if you're Pizza Hut and your your marketing angle is like, okay, um, we don't we try to dispel that preconception and we want to make it feel like it's not 
you know, just not this like frozen pizza or like this like, you know, shittily crafted pizza. It's actually like a really like artisanal product that's like crafted in a villa in Italy hmm. and, and delivered to you. So then in VR, what they could do is it's like you're just in a kitchen, like a, in, a, in a little village or something. And then you see this guy like with a, you know, with a like, Pizza Hut shirt kind of spinning this pizza and you hear like, I don't know, like Italian music around. It just feels like, wow, this is like a really authentic artisan, artisanal Italian pizza. You know, you know what I'm saying? And then yeah. like, when you take it off, it's like, wow, I kind of, kind of want a Pizza Hut now. You know, I, I thought it was bad, but actually it's, it seems pretty cool. You, you know, like that kind of stuff is like very engaging. I think it'd be very powerful. You need to get hired by the advertising industry um, <laughs> because that is that is quite genius. Uh, and it, 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 you know, it's, 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 there's a lot of stuff you can you can do. Oh, I agree. It, the thing that's hilarious in my mind is like I know I I know where the pizza comes from. It comes from this oven somewhere at, at a strip mall, and some dude <laughs> just drives it to my house. But that but the perception that it be that it's being made by this italian master of pizza making <laughs> in some villa like that is that is very powerful too and i and i wonder like will people you know take the bait here's something that i think is an obstacle to the advertising industry if you're going to do immersive commercials because after seeing it twice i'm done i'm it's going to be a, a put off i'm going to it's going to be a turn off like if i have to watch you know that uh, the this those Equis commercial. Every time I watch uh, South Park in VR, I don't know. I I, I hope yeah. they create that series in VR. That'd be cool. But if if every time I have to watch South Park in VR, I have to watch these those Equis commercial, and it takes me to the same place, to the same scene. It's gonna be a weird and annoying sense of deja vu that I'm gonna get. So. Yeah. It, with you in mind, I think their solution lies in procedurally generated commercials, where every time you go inside the commercial, uh, either through generative art or procedural systems, I don't know which, which, or maybe both, you can create a commercial that is different every time you go in. Um, maybe. Uh, but yeah. it would get annoying if I saw the same commercial more than twice. I think a lot of the power might be interactivity. It's mm. like, for, like for your example, like Dosaki's commercial, you you go in, and you, you're like in a in a party room, and you know you, you see the commercial. It was really fun, really cool the first time, but you you you're watching South Park, and then now you have the second round of commercials, and you have the same scene, and you're like, oh oh shit, not this again. But imagine like, say like you're in that room, but you could turn around and like go to the hallway and you can see like other rooms, for example, and it's like, Oh, this room is actually like a, like a party room. And I see like all these like frat and sorority girls, like drinking Dos Equis and having a good time. <laughs> I could chill there or I could like, Oh, get out of that room and I go to another room where it's like a, maybe it's more like a quiet reserve bar. Where it's like with classy, you know, pianists playing some jazz and you're just like at the bar table, just like enjoying Dos Equis, you know, quietly and thoughtfully, you know, just like, I think just interact, Interactivity allows it to be, you know, it's it, 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 if it's just a video, then there's no way to escape. But if it was interactive, then you could you could engage in the commercial in a brand new way and can always keep it kind of fresh, you know. Yeah, I, you know what I think. Um, 
as VR progresses, I think it's going to fuck with people's minds in weird ways. Because here you are with this device that can turn you into an international man of mystery. Uh, that can turn you, could t that could take you places, you know, that only the uber wealthy could ever go to. And now you can go, um, and the device will get better and better and better, and, you know, it'll feel more and more real. And you're going to wake up one day after having spent last night in Monaco, or having spent last <laughs> night in, you know, or in a outer space casino, you know, facing the Mediterranean Sea, like, and then you have to wake up and go to your nine to five pushing papers for someone else. Like that is going to fuck with people's heads. Like, God, why am I stuck doing this shit where yeah. I last night, I swear I was, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio in Inception 2 in VR. I don't know. Like that. Do you think like people are going to, I don't know. Do you think that there's going to be a change in people's psyche because they're going to be able to experience this metaverse that is so maddeningly uh, beautiful and fascinating and then reality sets you in. <laughs> I don't know. It's kind of like parallel to just people going home watching TV or people going home and um, playing video games. I, I, I don't think it would be like super drastic. I think people more look like they're looking forward to it rather than... Yeah, I don't know. I mean... It, it also could be like in the future, you know, you go to your nine to five, say you're like a U UPS postman or whatever, but now you have like the HoloLens and now everything's like a video game. You're like a space cadet, like delivering parcels to a, like international, you know, galactic federation. You know, it doesn't have to be like, it could just be full on like daily immersion with like, especially with HoloLens. I think it's can be the future, but uh, in terms of making reality more dry, I don't know. I feel a lot of people kind of have similar things when, they, when the TV first came out, and it definitely didn't destroy society. Yeah. Uh, I, I, yeah. I, I, just, I just hope that if I were, if I had the means and I had the money to be an employer, like, I would figure out ways to make work be possible and fun in VR. So... Yeah that people would want to come to work because it's fun because it doesn't feel like work um i don't know some somehow some way some you know crazy guy will figure out a way to create an mmo in vr and what you're doing is you know, what you what you think you're doing is playing and exploring and going having amazing adventures but what you're actually doing is you're getting you know, these accounts payables through, or, or you're, you're... Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I totally agree. It's just, it, it, it can spice up life dramatically. And let me ask you about this. Like, what do you think, um, what do you think in your mind is one thing VR can never be better than? No matter how good the technology gets, no matter how far ahead we get 20 years, 25 years from now, um... What do you think is one thing in your mind? It could be subjective to you, obviously, like that you think will never be better in VR. Sure. That's a tough. I never thought about that. I don't know. I feel I. I never really felt like because what your brain perceives as reality is just you know it's what the photons that get sent to your eye, the sounds that get sent to your ear, the smells that get sent to your nose, blah blah. 
And if if VR could fully hijack your sense of, you know, your your vision sense, and also I guess with headphones your audio sense, then how does that distinguish from reality? You know, it's just a it's literally a, like a, an alternate reality mm-hmm. for your brain. It's it's just another set of like input, just like your just like right now you're you're you're, you're getting all this visual and data from real life. And it's VR and it's fully immersive and everything is. I don't know. Everything is really well done. Then it's kind of no difference. And I don't know. I have, I don't think there's anything that's not possible. Hmm. Especially in the future, like even like regarding earlier, like talking about porn and stuff. Like porn will eventually be hyper real. Like in Japan, they already have these all this crazy stuff. Uh, with with <laughs> with um, VR, like they're. They're researching some crazy stuff with peripherals, <laughs> um, but I, I don't know. I, I don't see anything stopping it. Um, yeah, I, I, like, I go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. No, it's it's just like people would say, like, you know, the internet or like TV cannot comp- pales in comparison to like you just you know on a beach like enjoying Dosakis <laughs> or Corona probably. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, cause that's real, but in VR, you can simulate the exact same experience. So, I mean, what's the difference? Yeah. It, especially when we start nailing down galvanic, galvanic vestibular stimulation systems that make your body and your center, center of gravity feel like you're actually moving or yeah, that's going to be really weird. Um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, reality, I think, I keep saying this, and I hate to sound like a broken record, but I think reality is going to become uh, a more malleable malleable construct inside our minds as this technology becomes better. Um, and I, I don't know what the implications of that will be if all of a sudden we all think that, you know, we think deeper about what reality really is. I don't know what that will do, but it will definitely... And it will definitely change us somehow, kind of like the smartphone has, but I think more profound maybe. I think so. Since yeah. the power of VR is very, very strong and apparent Do you... at this early stage, and if it does go big, like with the internet, then yeah, it could really change dramatically. But what it if it? It's just uh, it's powerful, I think. I think so too. And sorry for interrupting because I have so many questions to ask you. But what if it doesn't? What if it doesn't become the next internet? You know, what do you think will what what will happen to you? Uh, what will happen to Funktronic Labs? What do you think will happen to Oculus? What What do you think will happen to me? Will I end up living in an alley in a cardboard box with my dog? What do you think? <laughs> um, I don't know how it could not be big. To be honest, it's just there's so many. Ch- the cards are all in favor. You know, right now we're at a point in history where Everything that is involved to make a VR device, like the screen, the cell gyroscope, gyroscope, you know, all these are so cost efficient that it can really hit consumer market at a very, very reasonable price. And we have the best minds in the industry, like working on this product. Um, I don't think there's anyone out there that has not been excited or at least happy when when they use the Oculus VR, hmm. and 
Yeah, if it, I mean, if it doesn't go big, then it'll just be like how it was two years ago, I guess. It'll just be, um, yeah, it's non-VR state. But um, yeah, definitely, it's definitely going to be big. I don't see how it cannot be big. Yeah. What is a dream? You, sorry, oh, sorry, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Sorry. So what, what, do you have any reason why you think it would not... Like, once they solve the dorky, like turkey look problem mm-hmm. i think it would be uh it would be mass yeah i th- i i don't i am so deep inside the bubble that <laughs> i can't f- seem to see what exactly it'd be that would like bring this whole party down um Maybe it could be Magic Leap. I've heard people say Magic Leap could, well, from Google, will would create something that would make all of us feel like we've been, you know, playing in a sandcastle while they have the holodeck. Um, maybe. Really? Maybe. I don't know about it. I really, yeah, I really don't know. Maybe, most people don't know either. I think it's hype. Um, but I, but there could be something there, and it could be something insane, and. Maybe augmented reality will take off and be more prolific than VR, but I think even that's not an issue because they're going to become both in the same device. It's going to converge eventually. Um, So, to be frank, I can't think of anything really that could, unless unless the super volcano, like Yellowstone going off, unless... (laughs) (laughs) I don't know about that. Um, resurrected and attack us all yeah unless uh yeah unless a super giant gamma ray burst pulverizes all of us within seconds i think that's i think we're good i think we'll be okay um fcc yeah i'm curious how the like fcc would handle oh that was a see that was another that's a huge question for me because Here's the thing about, and by the way, I want to ask you, like, do you think we will actually see a thing called the metaverse? And how I define it is not, it's not the same definition that most people have. Like Vlad Vukicevic from Mozilla, he'll say that the metaverse is already here. But I think that the, the pipeline of the metaverse is already here being the internet. The metaverse is actually the materialization of the internet before our eyes through augmented and virtual reality. And so I wonder wh- whether you think we will ever see a metaverse, and then we'll take this into the context of the FCC thing. But what do you think, first of all? Um, uh, I don't know. I think I think it's very possible. <laughs> I think the metaverse is definitely. Um, I mean, it's the VR is just built so that it's a natural progression to become the metaverse, and everything is in place. Like you have the internet. We have all the the hardware required, and how could it not exist eventually? You know. Because mm-hmm. I'm I'm already thinking about like what is the next thing? What comes after the smartphone? Are we going to be stuck looking at you know hunch over our, our over our, our our over our plastic tablets and phones with glass for the rest of our existence, or are we going to figure out a new paradigm to interact with information from the machine world? I think that's where the metaverse might come in and I might be too ahead of myself, but you know, what do you think? Is, is there some, what comes after the smartphone? What comes after the smartphone? I feel like the smartphone is right now, it's kind of 
I guess defined by like 2D 2D interaction, mm-hmm. which is which is great. It's very natural, you know. The, the ability so it's like very very relatable, which is why it's so popular. But being able to react in another dimension, the third dimension, especially in VR, if we could, I think it'd just be open up way more possibilities in terms of like, I guess information seeking, information digesting, and yeah, I feel like it's more um, it's more natural to see uh, a three D environment rather than like a two D thing on a two D plane. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Uh, and in the context of this thing, the FCC stuff, I, I, I would, so my thought is, um, my thinking is that uh, the cable companies are, they see the writing on the wall. (laughs) They see that the internet is going to eat their lunch money if they don't act. And since they don't know how to innovate, they're using government regulation and lobbyists to, you know, compete with the internet. And so... I, I, and, and so what's so difficult about uh, these companies being holding so much power, holding the keys to our information channels, right? Like that's the internet, that's the channel of information. I, I worry that, for example, I just saw, I, I saw a headline. I didn't read the whole thing, but it was a headline where AT&T was saying that broadband is considered... 25 megabits up or down something like that but something ridiculously low for 2015 and if we're going to really create this thing called the metaverse we're going to need more data than that Uh, (laughs) so so we so i i fear that they might po they might see the metaverse as a threat um because it will world than what they've been controlling yeah I don't need your 165 motherfucking channels. I have a whole alternate universe. <laughs> so exactly, exactly. I think they. I mean, just the it's just not a testament to how they are on the wrong side of history. Just like taxis and Uber and Lyft, they're just eventually it's just gonna pull through. It's a weird thing that we're living through, like this, how the internet is disrupting all these legacy paradigms and economies, and how some people are adapting and see the writing on the wall, and then there's others who are fighting tooth and nail to eventually just get left behind, because you can't really fight this progress of technology, because if you do, you just get left behind, You (laughs) you just end up... A Luddite, I guess. I don't know. And maybe you want to be one. Maybe And maybe that's fine, but I want to... I don't know. I, I want to be plugged into the machine already. Um, it's just a... It's like... Like a parallel would be, like I said, like the taxi and Uber industry. Like taxis are really, really, you know, trying to lobby against like Lyft and, and Uber. And it's clearly a more superior service because I don't know if you had... You probably did ride taxis before in San Francisco, but it's just kind of horrible experience. Yeah. And I, like, yeah, like I mean, the, America is all obsessed with like the, well, the taxi industry is just like fighting and killing Uber and Lyft when in fact it's progress. But you have another place like Dubai, I think it's Dubai, where um, once they saw that Lyft and Uber was kind of invading, they completely renovated their service. Like they added, you know, smartphone technology. They added a kind of very very similar like. Um, services to lift just to stay competitive i think that's kind of the right approach rather than just killing it just because it scares you 
because it's because it's not gonna die either like it's like they're trying to the the guy who created silk road he's arrested he's gone but there's already like a dozen silk roads created because (laughs) (laughs) so so you can't so it's like a game of whack-a-mole it's sort of like uh trying to regulate drugs (laughs) you 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 i don't know there's a there's this need this thing inside all of us humans to escape and we or explore it's both yeah. right we both we're explorers and escapists inherently and we are using either books or we're using television or your favorite tv program or sons of anarchy or game of thrones or drugs and whatever whatever fits your groove but like but certain people want to make sure want to decide what you can do with your body and life and they're making inferences based on certain things and this is not inter vr anymore this is a ranty political philosophical talk show let's go back to vr <laughs> um and do you think uh, going back to vr like is there a game that you would love to experience in vr like is there something that you would just want to you know that you dream that you could go and, and, and experience in VR? I mean, it feels kind of cliche, but I really want to feel like a star pilot, space pilot. It seems like a lot of games are be doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I want to, I want to be able to make music in VR and see the music synesthetically. Okay. Um, Cause I feel, um, music right now, uh, well, I, First of all, I feel like uh, technology has allowed musicians to express themselves in a way that's previously impossible. Mm-hmm. For example, like before, if you want to make music, you got to devote, you know, decades of your life to perfecting guitar or piano. But now you just open up Ableton and you have like presets, you have tones, you can make our, you know, arpeggios or drum drum machines, and you can just make music without even having to understand music theory. I think that's very, very beautiful and uh, awesome concept. And in VR, like, imagine if you could, like, music before has, has been all, like, 2D. Like, mm-hmm. Before we started, like, music scores, and now Ableton, which you have, like, 2D multi-tracks. Imagine being able to make and interact with your music in full 3D VR. Yes. That would be so awesome and so so powerful and it's just a complete new way of seeing music creation that's something that i really 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 want to see and and um eddie lee if you create the garage band of vr or something similar to that i will get on my knees and worship you forever <laughs> like that i think that's needed i think i think we need something like like what you're envisioning where you can you know interact with your music but i would love to just but also somehow be able to create it, you know, in with with visuals and in VR. Yeah. Do you th- do you think that's possible? Do you think that that can be achievable? I think so. Um, yeah, I think that just because listening to music is a very linear experience mm-hmm. that it maps to two D very well. But imagine um, creating music uh, with the three D environment. For example, if you have like, is this just all like? Imaginary. Let's say like you have, I don't know, like a ball, a glowing energy ball that emits like a kick or whatever, mm-hmm. or like a music or melody. And in VR, you could kind of like throw it, throw it around and see like, okay, I'm gonna throw it out, 
and it'll come back to me like at the, at the verse or whatever, come back at the chorus. And then, you know, you just kind of like music, using music and just using gestures and just drawing these like musical parts around, just having it all kind of converge into a melody. I think it'd be very, very cool. I, I think, um, yeah, I think a lot of, I, I imagine a lot of new type of music might come out just from this different musical creation interaction. I will. I hope you. I hope you make it. And if you do, get in touch with me. I, I, I I'd love to help you somehow. Uh, that's because that's. I I think that's low hanging fruit too. Um, and I and I wonder whether you, uh, what you think about the idea that whatever we can do, in the two D paradigm, like GarageBand, like edit videos, like program, like you know, wouldn't you name it. We can also do in VR more efficiently if we, if we nail down a proper interface. So, I think, you think, I think so? Yeah, I think well, like with, with video content, it's just like video editing is a lot of you know like you a lot of content, a lot of videos and clips and stuff you want to see. But imagine like you're, I just imagine like for video editing, yeah, like a mainstream looking for like your main you know central computer or whatever but on the side you have all these like video clips kind of like floating and just like kind of playing itself mm -hmm. or looping and stuff and you just go okay i'm going to drag this one here and then like you know use your hands to drag it in and like you you stretch it or you um you know you cut out certain things and then you you know throw it away with you know it's just it's just i think it's just much more natural because i i don't think 2d is very natural it's just what we've grown up on mm -hmm. and we try to simulate 3d environments with 2d But I think with 3D, it just everything just feels just so much more natural. And for the creative process, I feel it's much more in line, much less taxing than having to, you know, uh, convert your creative process to a 3D environment or a 2D environment in order to make soft, in turn make a product, video or music. Yeah. Yeah, I think it definitely it definitely will help out. I just don't know. Have Have you seen the drawing app that um? Tilt Brush. Yes, that Drew, Drew Skillman. Skillman and Patrick Hackett, yeah. Yeah, yeah I've yeah. seen it. They are quite uh, scholarly and gentlemanly, um, and I really enjoy Tilt Brush. I think it's really cool, especially because you don't need, like, you know, uh, Six Sense controllers. You could use your keyboard and mouse, which I think is pretty intelligent on their part. Yeah. It, it, have you tried it? Is it pretty, like, I don't know, pretty usable? I, I, well, I, it's, it's really pretty. And at this point, I would say that it's on track to become pretty useful. I, I, I would, I'm hoping and crossing my fingers, and I think they're they're a good team. They they really are. And I, and yeah, I was trying it out once, and I forgot that there was a line behind me. So it's pretty good. <laughs> so awesome. Yeah, that's like another way of like I guess generating art in 3D. It's just more natural. Like you're making a 3D scene. Obviously, you should be in the 3D environment. Not like not like trying to having to map your brain to to two D software in order to generate a three D scene. You know, it's a lot. It's it's much more direct. Let Let me ask you this: Can 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 generative art be used, or procedural systems be used to create um to map out sounds? Could you map a sound to a certain symbol or object? And be procedurally or genitively created. What do you What do you think? Well, that's the whole thing with well with colors and synesthesia. Mm -hmm. 
Um, people who have synesthesia, like the, the same note always generates the same color that they see. Mm -hmm. And if, especially for like music creation, if you have notes or music kind of correlated to colors or visual compositions, I think it'd be very, very helpful. <laughs> much more subconsciously uh, intuitive. Yeah. When you when you listen to music, do you do you see colors? Do you see patterns? What do you see, for example? I imagine when I, when I listen to music or music that I like, I always see a music video, <laughs> mm -hmm. like a little generative art kind of vibe music video in my mind. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's just for me, just wondering, like, how would this look like in a music video? Not, It's not really natural like it is for, like, people with synesthesia. But, uh, but yeah. <laughs> how about you? I, that's a good question. I, um, when I was younger, I used to uh, listen to Linkin Park and System of a Down. And huh? every time I used to listen to them, uh, I would imagine fight scenes from Dragon Ball. <laughs> and and system of, and then I found out that on YouTube there's a whole genre of people who have been creating video mashups of Dragon Ball fighting scenes with Linkin Park or System of a Down or Limp Bizkit music in the background and so I, I yeah it was it's pretty cool um but yeah that's why I, if it's that kind of music if it's more relaxing like um like I don't know like Enya or or you know, Ludovico Elnaudi, you know, more more classical stuff, I'll probably imagine trees and landscapes um, or f me flying through them. That's pretty, that's pretty much it. What about you? What do you, does it, does your visuals differ on the different types of music? Yeah, I mean, it does, especially the colors. Cause, you know, colors, you have warm, like red, orange, yellow hues that are more exciting. And it's like, if you have chill and ambient songs, it's more like cool colors, mm -hmm. purple, purple and blue and stuff. And yeah, it's, I think music videos in VR would be really cool as well. There's already a few. Yeah, I tried one from uh, Otherworld, uh, and I think it was really cool too. It, it, it sort of reminded me of the things I imagine inside my head when I'm playing a music video from uh, a song or something. So it's, yeah, it's pretty exciting stuff. Yeah, I, th I think so too. I think um, I, I think humans are not wired to be able to relate music mm -hmm. to visuals. You know, like just because before, you know, just music and music, you know, you have like drums and very like acoustic instruments. There's never really like any like visuals to correlate it, but now like with visuals moving to the music, it has like a very like I don't know, it has a very interesting feel, you know, which is why, like, dance and stuff is so popular. Yeah, yeah, I, I think. It's <laughs> because, like, it's a way to uh, explore music in a different dimension. And, I mean, it's not just VR, but just, like, music music, music videos and things moving to the music is just very compelling uh, at a very intrinsic, primal <laughs> way, it's, it's, I, I feel, at least. No, I, I see it. I see it because you're what you're channeling through body movement or different forms of artistic expression. You're channeling what your brain is. The, if your brain were an antenna, then yeah. what you're channeling is the signals this antenna is receiving or perceiving um, from the music, which is cool. Yeah, 
I think so. Because no other animal in the universe that we know of can do this. <laughs> do dance? Do orcas dance? Do dolphins dance? Do chimpanzees dance? Are we the only animal I that does this? I don't know. I've I've seen dance videos like dubstep. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's real. But these matchups. I don't know. Yeah, I wonder if like chimps have have rhythm. If they can like. Like if they yeah. like if they just start started tapping and then you know like the Blue Man Group they have music videos while we're not watching and I don't know. Um, but, well, Eddie Lee, it has been a pleasure, uh, a true journey talking to you. Um, and do you have any closing thoughts before we close things off? Um, yeah, just that. Let's make the future VR together. It's gonna be awesome. Hells yeah, hells yeah. How can people stay in touch? How can people support what you're doing and all that good stuff? You can follow me on Twitter at Eddie Tree. Okay. Go to the website funktroniclabs.com. Sweet. Um, cool. And all of that information will be in the show notes. Once again, Eddie Lee, thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Chris, for having me. Have a good day.